Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased that you've been able to join us for the program. Have you ever seen what happens when people tell God, don't tell us what to do? Do you know what history tells us happens? Discouragement and tears are part of life, aren't they? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt either. In doing life, in serving God, do you get discouraged and wish for greater success? Do you wish for reward for your work? Fortunately, or you may think otherwise, God measures success differently than the world does. Let's join Dr. Corbett for tonight's discussion, a reward for your work. I would have mapped out that on June 9, I was going to be preaching from Jeremiah 31, verses 15 to 22, probably sometime back December, January this year. And so the rest of the year for me is kind of mapped out. Through this week, here we are, we're going to be dealing with a section which talks about an appeal to history, people are saying, Jeremiah, you gotta, you're on the wrong side of history. You've got to get on the right side of history, Jeremiah. Interesting. Because this week, and I don't normally name names, but I am <laughs> now because it was way out there in the public. A member, in fact, I believe the only member of, of the Greens political party in the lower house of the federal parliament, uh, Dr. Adam Bant said the parliament by not voting for same-sex marriage is on the wrong side of history. Here I am about to deal with Jeremiah with a whole, he he was like a, a, a solo voice dealing with a whole group of progressives telling him to get on the right side of history. I'm preaching at this Sunday and this guy's just used that expression calling himself a progressive, poo-pooing Christians, (laughs) telling people that if they don't agree with him, they're dinosaurs, as I heard a former PM say three weeks ago, for not getting on this bandwagon. And as we look at this, I I mentioned to you just a moment ago that Jeremiah's now settled. He's still only young. He's 19, 20. He's really young. He still has times of discouragement. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Amazing that something written two and a half thousand years ago can be so unbelievably relevant for today. It's like reading the newspaper, really. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children. Because they are no more. Does that sound familiar to anyone? If you're familiar with uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you'll know that they quote this verse. So we'll come back to this in a moment. We go to verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. So here's Jeremiah saying, Rachel is weeping for her children. I want to talk about this mother in a moment because there's two mothers that are going to be mentioned in this section. One is Rachel. Rachel who gave birth to Joseph and Benjamin. Because she gave birth to Joseph, she's essentially the grandmother, well not even essentially, she is the grandmother of Ephraim and Manasseh, the ten northern tribes of Israel. It looked like 
when Israel went into civil war and the ten northern tribes fought with the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, it, it looked like when these guys said, well, we're not going to worship the way you guys worship down here. And then eventually the Assyrians came in and took all these tribes away and they were to be no more. And Jeremiah's saying, no, no, in the eyes of God, I know where each one of them are and my hand is on them. We go to the next verse, verse 17. This is beautiful. This is the covenant sections. Everything we're going to read in these sections is, yes, this is going to happen. This, I've tried to warn you about this. I've tried to prevent this from happening. But I want you to know it's not the end. There's hope. That's what covenant does. This covenant of hope. It's the new covenant. It's the New Testament that we have on our laps here. And it says this, There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country still addressing in essence Rachel who's weeping in the tomb that so many weeping around the region of Rama and by the way that region of Rama is Bethlehem so with God sometimes the hopeless can be turned around into a positive future next verse verse 18 I found Ephraim grieving now that word Ephraim describes the ten tribes to the north. They're all Ephraim. So that's Asher, Dan, and so on. They're all Zebulun. They're all called Ephraim. Grieving. And this is what he says. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. So Jeremiah, this is probably one of the most hopeful things he said. Right now, everything I've told you for the last 30 chapters, you have told me I'm a liar. You've called me a false prophet. You've told me I'm delusional. You've called me a madman. You've tried to kill me. You've thrown me in prison. You've dangled me upside down in a cistern. You have been so cruel to me, but I can see your future. And I can see the day when you are going to say, Jeremiah was right. I can see the day, Jeremiah says, when you'll say, God, we've been foolish. We've been going our own way. And now we want to come back to you. Or God, grant it that we can come back to you. How does God respond to those cries? When people cry to him like that, how does he respond? He always responds positively. He always responds positively. And I know that the enemy wants to paint us with a brush that says, you Christians are so harsh because you don't want people to be happy. You want to tell people they're bad and wicked and evil and sinful and you don't want people to enjoy life and be happy. And that's an unfair stereotype because we've discovered that if you obey God, if you put God first, if you live the way the Creator has designed for you to live, you will know life to its full. You will. You will. It's kind of like going, well, I know Henry Ford designed the motor car to have petrol put in there, but I'd much rather run my car on Coca-Cola because I'm a rebel. I don't want someone telling me I can't have fun with Coca-Cola or whatever. It, it sounds ridiculous, but that's how some people live their lives. And the moment you say, don't, don't go and put Coke in there, you'll seize your engine. Don't do that. That's full. Oh, you're so negative. So here's Ephraim saying, 
And Jeremiah saying, one day Ephraim will say, God, we've sinned against heaven and against our fellow man. We are so sorry. And this sorrow reminds us that there are two types of sorrow. The Apostle Paul said there's a sorrow that leads to repentance. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance is that when you're running away from God, you, you turn back to God. It's amazing to me that you can run for a million miles away from God. And yet the moment you turn around, you're only one step away from him. What a beautiful picture of the heart of God. There's two types of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow and there's spiritual sorrow. There's the worldly sorrow that says, I'm sorry I got caught. There's the spiritual sorrow that says, I'm sorry for what I've done. And in this section, there's two mothers being contrasted. There's one right at the start and there's one right at the end. The Bible often uses this literature device called symmetry. And so we're going to see two different mothers here. This first mother, Rachel, she suffered and experienced loss. So Rachel is depicted as crying and weeping from her grave. And, and this, this verse, verse 15, where we read this, thus says the Lord, the voice is heard, a voice is heard in Rama, lamentation, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted. I think we read the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 2. But this is a prophecy. Jeremiah is giving them a prophecy of what was about to happen in the next little while. The Babylonians would come in and they didn't care about children. They massacred the children. They didn't care. And this is a prophecy, a prophecy directly about what was about to happen in the lifetime of Jeremiah's audience. So this was fulfilled by what the Babylonians, another word for Babylonian, Chaldean, Chaldean, C-H, it looks like Chaldean, but it's Chaldean. This is what they would do. And here's an interesting thing in the Bible. Often we have these little Old Testament stories that speak of a New Testament truth. So, for example, here's what the Babylonians were about to do. And because Matthew says, yeah, well, that's what the Babylonians did, but really it was pointing to the coming of Jesus. Because when Jesus was born, you remember wise men came, they went to King Herod, they said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? So Herod's, Herod figured out that by the time these guys first saw the star was about two years ago, he said, okay, uh, guys, go in and kill every baby two years and under. And so when all these children were killed as Herod was trying to kill Jesus, Matthew says, and Rachel was heard weeping for her children. A voice of weeping and lamentation happening in Ramah or Bethlehem. So it pointed to King Herod. And here's this word type. There's lots of these little types, something that happens in the Old Testament, but it really points to something in the New Testament. And here's one of them, Rachel weeping over children being killed in and around Bethlehem and it ultimately pointed to King Herod. This is one of the reasons why I know that, that despite what atheists say, it was, this was just a bunch of guys who came together and just wrote this and made it all up. Well, flip six, seven, eight hundred years before the events and they're getting the exact details right? Give me a break. So we're going to see... Jeremiah saying, this is where history is going to go. <laughs> and what were his critics saying? No, you're wrong, Jeremiah. History won't go that way. History will go this way. 
And yet we should be able to look back on this and go, history, not just this period of history, but history generally should sound a warning to us. When I read that Adam Bant declares himself openly to be a Marxist, and it occurred to me that there's probably a whole bunch of young people here who have no idea what the word Marxist means. And Marxism played a huge part in our history of the 20th century. Huge. In fact, millions of lives were lost because of this atheistic ideology. Atheistic. There is no spiritual realm, says the Marxist. There is no God. There is no, there is no spiritual realm. And so history should sound a warning that whenever people have turned away from God, like I think of Voltaire... Voltaire, was he in the late 1700s, early 1800s? He said, Christianity is now officially dead. The Bible, within my lifetime, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Voltaire, Paris, France. By the time he, just after he died, not only was Christianity not dead, Queen Victoria was ruling and reigning and she sent Bibles to every king around the world and this horrible Victorian era started where people began to treat each other nice, women dressed modestly and family was upheld and I'm being a little bit sarcastic calling it horrible. But what is interesting, within a few years after Voltaire's death, his house was bought by the French Bible Society and turned into a Bible distribution centre. We should learn something from history. And, and here's this week, Adam Bant, he came out with this statement. And it's like, dude, right side of history, do you, do you know anything about history when a people shake their fist at God, what happens to those people? Have you ever seen what happens when people tell God, don't tell us what to do? Do you know what history tells us happens? There was a time in the Bible when a bloke who was the commanding officer of the Assyrian army, and that title was Rabshakeh, when the Rabshakeh came to Jerusalem. Now, I already told you that the Assyrian army came and took the ten tribes of the north away to Assyria and just scattered them and treated them horribly. And then they came down to Jerusalem and said, we're going to do the same thing to you. And if you've seen the movie 300... This is about this guy who conquers the known world and his commanding army general, the Rabshakeh, comes to Jerusalem and there isn't anybody within a gazillion miles of the physique of a Spartan in Jerusalem. And he says, surrender now or we'll kill you all. And Hezekiah goes, Can you give me a minute to think about it? And Hezekiah, while he's while he's going, oh man, they've obliterated every empire in the world. They've killed every king that stood in their way. I can't even I haven't got a chariot. So the next thing the Rabshakeh overhears, he says, I'll give you two thousand chariots. Come on, we just enjoy the fight. But if I gave you 2,000 chariots, I know you haven't got 2,000 soldiers to put in them. So you might as well surrender now. 
because you're on the wrong side of history. And there's a guy in the temple by the name of Isaiah who's on his knees worshipping God. Great place to be when you're in turmoil. And someone comes running in and says, Hezekiah, I want you to know what's going on. He says, I know what's going on. And this is the words the Rabshakeh uttered. You'll find this in 2 Kings 18.22. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord, our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar only? I'm putting the word only in Jerusalem. In other words, here he's saying, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's telling you there's only one God. He's telling you there's only one way to live. He's telling you there's only one God and one way to worship him. Don't listen to him. You can worship any God you like and we'll prove it to you. Even your God is on our side. History's on our side. We're going to conquer you. So surrender now. And Isaiah comes out of the temple. Hezekiah comes in. Thus says the Lord, keep trusting me. Tomorrow, you will win. And you know the story? Next, in the middle of the night, 186,000 Assyrians all get hallucinations and visions of blood and realize that, that Israel must have hired this super duper, duper duper, mega Spartan army coming to kill them. And they all started just killing each other. God came through. And, and I tell you, you'll have people who say, look, just, just stop resisting. This is inevitable that we'll get our way. It's inevitable that you Christians will die out. You keep telling people there's only one altar. You call him Jesus. They're so narrow-minded. Stop it. <sighs> Moreover, it is without... Uh, is it without the Lord, the Rabshakeh said, that I've come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, the liar, the liar. God would want this, I hear people say. Oh, the liars. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, let me give you a little history lesson that I hope someone gives not just Adam Bant, but every one of our politicians. The Greek Empire said, sexual activity is just a physical activity. Do whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. Do it with animals, do it with people, do whatever you want. Do it with multiple people. We don't care, just do whatever you want. Soon after they came to that proclamation, they ceased to be a world empire. The Romans did it. The Roman Empire said, Marriage between a man and a woman is now just one of the many options. And Caesar proved it. One of their Caesars, his name was Caligula, he married his horse. And the Roman Empire was soon to fall as a result of the stupidity. The Soviet Union, that word Marxist, Soviet Union was built on it. Marxist, Stalinist, philosopher. Did you know in the 1920s and 30s, the Soviet Union, under Marxist 
philosophy. Marxism says there is no God, there are no rules of life, you just do whatever you want as long as it's, you know, as long as you're happy. 1920s and 30s, there was no concept in, in Soviet Russia of marriage. They said the state will no longer recognise or, or officially have marriage. You just do whatever you want. You know, when Hitler in, began to invade, they, the Soviet Union overnight changed the law. From now on, this chaos, this bedlam that has resulted for the last two decades has got to stop. We've got to get our act together. And one of the first things they did, they said, well, from now on, we're regulated marriage. It's between a man and a woman. This country's in chaos. And we can't fight another country if we're in chaos. Now, that was only 60, 70, 80 years ago. Flip! This is history. Which side do you want to be on? Good preaching, Andrew. This is awesome. This is just awesome. Verse 19. We're in Jeremiah, remember? For after I had turned away, I relented. This is Ephraim talking. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. It's like going, oh, how could, you be, oh, how could I be so stupid? Is what Jeremiah saying. This is what you will do. You will do this. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Oh, how many of us would want to go back into our younger years and, go, and just change a few things? Is Ephraim my dear son? God talking. Is he my darling child? Oh, this must have been hard for Jeremiah to get these words out because these are the people that have given him a lot of grief right now and God's through him saying, but you're my darlings. You're my darlings. Interesting that word darling comes from the word dearling, a dear one, a dearling, a darling, someone precious, my darling child. Far, uh, for as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. This is the rebel. My heart yearns for the rebel because he's my son, my child. I love my child. He's my darling child. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. If you don't get the father heart of God out of this, then, then it's going to be very, very difficult for you to appreciate that God loves you unconditionally. The father heart of God yearns for his children. Set up road markers for yourself, verse 21. Make yourself, make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel, Return to these, your cities. So Ephraim, turning back. You know, your, their repentance was to be a signpost to the world. This is how you get right with God. You, you stop going the direction you want to go and you turn around and you come back to him. Your repentance should be the same. Your repentance should be like road signs for the lost. Verse 22. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter, so Jeremiah appealing to the people. And then he says this, and this is outstanding. And it doesn't come out fully in English, but let me give you a little bit of the Hebrew insight. For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. I want you to note that. That means never done it before. New thing on the earth. A woman encircles a man. A woman encircles a man. It doesn't come out in the Hebrew but that word, a woman, it's not any woman. It's not women generally. 
it's a particular woman, will encircle a particular man. And the Hebrew for man is not men, man. It's, it's actually the word mighty man. A woman, a particular woman who will live near Rama will encircle a particular mighty man. And it speaks of the Virgin Mary who will not know a man. This will be a new thing. I mean, a woman being pregnant with a child is not a new thing. That's not the new thing. And that's not, you don't need God's intervention for that to happen. This is something the Lord will do. This is why the virgin birth is so precious. Jesus was born a virgin. And I know there's a whole bunch of people that would have us believe that's just a myth. But it's not. It's really true. And it's really important that it's true. This second mother, Mary. You remember the first mother, Rachel, she experienced tremendous loss. This mother experienced tremendous gain. This second mother, Rachel, was the one who held the idols. She kept the idols. For all we know, she kept them for the rest of her life. She didn't fully trust God. And we read, you read about Rachel in Genesis and read it in that light. You'll see this is a sneaky, conniving woman. Leah, I feel sorry for Leah, her sister. But anyway, this second mother, Mary, she didn't hide any idols. She wasn't hiding anything. She was probably not too much younger than Jeremiah was when he was prophesying this, probably about 15 or so. She trusted and obeyed God. Wow. So here's the deal. A whole bunch of people telling Jeremiah, you're wrong, you're on the wrong side of history. Let it go, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, I'm not on the wrong side of history. I'll tell you what your history in the future will look like. You'll turn back to God. You'll come back to God in deep sorrow. And then I'll tell you what's going to happen. There'll be, God will do something in a woman. He will do it. It'll be a new thing. Never been done before. She will encircle a man, be pregnant with a man. And that child will be the Messiah. This is the new thing. This is the history that God will write because God's writing history, not the Babylonians. And this makes me think there may be some here who you feel people have spoken things into your life. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be any good. You're just a born loser. You're an accident. We never wanted you in the first place. People have spoken your history over you. And I've got to tell you, you may feel like your future is out of your control. Perhaps others are writing your future with their words. Johnny has lots of potential, but if he only studied harder, he could achieve so much more. I don't know if you ever saw that in a report. But maybe someone's trying to do that to you. Here's my invitation. Let God author your future by his words. His words that say, I want to give you a good future and a good hope. By his words. History has sounded warnings to those who defy God. And we need to make sure we're on the right side of history. Let's not be tempted for success in a worldly sense, but be repentant and by doing so be signposts for the lost. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, A Reward for Your Work, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.